welcome to your death sentence for this week. Uh, okay, let's. We've got a, a really, really good guest with us. Just a, a, a great guest. Really happy to have him on. Um, Jake Flores. Jake hey. Flores. There he is. Hello, That's death his, sentence. Those, those are his dulcet tones, people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you don't know him, then you're probably not very online. Um, he is a stand-up, or I believe in the industry you call yourself comics. Uh, those are changeable. Yeah. I know you call them presenters on your side of the uh, the ocean over there. Uh, I'll have none of it. Yeah. It, like a TV presenter. Like a, a guy who does jokes is just a stand-up. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then I, never mind. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Or the king's fool. Um, <laughs> yeah. The jester. Yeah. And uh, so you're also a podcaster. Because, um, you know, the whole world's pivoting that way. Um, mm-hmm. Pod Down America is really damn good for oh, thank you know, you. the basic podcast format of three guys from Brooklyn talking about politics, but you, you do it well. Thank you. Um, and I think you also started a new podcast just about the, the comedy game, right? Uh, yeah, actually, it hasn't launched yet, um, but me and my pal Luisa Diaz have been doing a lot of podcasting about uh, comedy, deconstructing like specials and stuff like that. Um politics and sort of discourse within that world and uh yeah i don't know we liked it so much we just decided to start our own thing where we uh we talk about all that stuff and we're going to focus a little bit more on um like the drama and stuff and uh have people on and have them talk about here's the name of the show why you mad <laughs> so uh i'm excited about that it should be launching soon cool so you're gonna let the new hannah gadsby and get cancelled then because uh-huh. everyone hate you after you say it's bad yeah Cool. Okay, we got you pre-cancelled. That's that's good, at least. I'd say in between cancelings. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you, people have come at you before and tried to cancel you, but yeah, you know, you stayed <laughs> strong. Um, yeah, and which is rare for comedians who never get cancelled. They're always good. Um, so yep, you you do those things, and we forced you to read. It's not the worst book we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, you know, there are. There was the one written by like an insane right wing person that was like diehard in a university, and it was about the SJWs and how they're not equipped to handle a terrorist incident. That was pretty bad. It was written by someone role playing as someone who's well known to be dead already. Oh yeah, it was written by the niece of an eleven year old dead, a guy who's been dead for eleven years. He's <laughs> like eleven dead eleven year old. <laughs> That would be insanely dark. I bet I, I bet that'll get picked up too. This but, novel is found in the effects of a dead eleven-year-old. Like, can't you imagine that that being huge and then someone finding out it being cancelled? Like, uh, that'd be that'd be that'd be absolutely massive. Especially if it was like you feel good. It could, be, it could be about Jesus or something, and it would go, go massive. It would get like a ten-figure deal. And it turns out the 11 year old was deeply racist. But it's not real. And the person who did it is deeply racist. That that would absolutely happen. Someone has a conspiracy theory about the diary of Anne Frank being essentially that, right? But it's a conspiracy theory by like a right wing fucking wacko who's who's on the other side of this argument. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I had seen that of like people rumbling that it was like a like a propaganda document in order to drum up support for the Jewish community because the Holocaust isn't real. So you have to convince people that it's real by uh, <laughs> this fake diary. Yeah, this the theory was that the guy was like writing in his own daughter's diary, like as her or some weird shit, you know, oh, like yeah. a like a brilliant yes. fan fiction author. Yeah, but like a really weird fan. Like, I guess you, you can be a fan of your own daughter. Or you, you should be, really. <laughs> right? Exactly. I was about to say, like, that's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that that one's mandatory to, like, yeah. be a good dad. you, you got to stand your kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> unless your kid's terrible. Oh, yeah. You can't, you can't have, like, a like, shitty kid. Then like, what happens can't... if your kid gets cancelled? Good point. This um, is just, I disavow my child. <laughs> This is just how the millennial generation will discipline their kids is with either standing or canceling them. Yeah, it's, exactly, it's yeah. But whenever my kid like draws on the wall, I'll be like, Yeah, you kind of milkshake duck there, dude. <laughs> yeah. Releasing a public statement disavowing any relation to your child. <laughs> Sorry for everyone my child offended. Um so let's, um, before we go into the book, which is terrible, uh, let's do some news. So, uh, okay, biggest news, for me at least, is my country has a Trump now. His name is Boris Johnson. He's absolutely terrible. He's, he could be worse than Trump because he is actually kind of smart. Yeah. Not like, you know, there, there was always that thing about, you know, Trump's bad, but he's evil. And if Pence got in, then he would be evil and also relatively intelligent. But yeah, Boris Johnson is like, I mean, no uh, Oscar Wilde, but he's like, he start out as a journalist and he's not stupid. He, he's a violent thug who uh, got the police called to him screaming at his girlfriend like last week. But um, it's, and, yeah, you know, he like, won. He won the election because he's politically savvy. Like he knows how to play the um, play the angles. He was widely touted to likely be the successor to Theresa May, like before she even stepped down. Just like, oh if, yeah, we always if, knew he was coming. If the he Tories kind of, win, uh, he kind of looks like they tried to make a super Trump in like a lab, and he escaped by uh, <laughs> sort of smashing through a brick wall or something. Yeah, like he was too like strong. It's probably like a load of other like failed super trumps. They're just on like a bed in lab going, "Kill me, kill me." <laughs> yeah, sad. <laughs> Nothing but hair. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just the hair begging for it's begging for death. Now um, I believe that you skipped over in the notes for the for the show the comment that I left about Porsche Johnson the the epithet uh, that he is a a wet pig in a wig. You must not fuck. Right? <laughs> Yeah, that's not what the notes are for. That's, but it's accurate. I mean, for the people at home, if you if if you haven't Googled a picture of Boris Johnson, you can just image him in your mind right now with your psychosphere by picturing a large boar, like a, like a hog, like a wild hog, and put a blonde wig on it. It looks like it looks like <laughs> a mop head. You just drop that on there, and you don't want to fuck this pig. So if there's yeah. a scenario where you put a wig on a pig and you do want to fuck it, which is wrong, by the way, and you shouldn't want that, but let's say you oh, do. This like one, this one you won't, even if you're into yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, because his personality is terrible. It's just awful. 
Just mm. a, just terrible. Okay, it's so... like at least Theresa May was like regular terrible, like bad, like very bad, but like a regular, like imaginatory. You're imagining Theresa May. Mm, yeah, yeah, he yeah he is just straight up just our Trump, and we've always known that. I, I remember when he was mayor of London years ago. I was like, oh yeah, he's our Trump. He's going to be our Trump, and just like our Trump, he got elected by like a tight. He wasn't even. He didn't even have a proper election. He was elected by his own party, which is like 0.25 percent of the population. Um, it's probably even less now because we've just had a heat wave, and the kind of people who like join the Conservative Party are like angry old divorced men who live on their own, and those guys always die in heat waves. <laughs> so he's probably got even less of a base now. But um, yeah, so we we got Trump now. It's going to be really shitty. His cabinet is full of psychopaths. Um, and yeah, it's just going to get much worse. How long um, until you guys have a general election? We got. Um, yeah. I don't. It's not. Um, we don't do it on a regular schedule. Uh, Bor- Boris Johnson would that have sucks. to call it. Uh, he's. I think he's got like a certain amount of time. I think it's like five years. Like I a maximum amount of time, but you can call yeah. one before. Yeah. Um, so. Does this mean like no Corbyn essentially? I have a hard time following how British politics work. Um, yeah, pretty much. It means like Boris Johnson will probably hang on to Downing Street for as long as he can. Uh, Corbyn is being rat fucked to oblivion now. Like, even like normal people believe he's a vicious anti Semite who's going to start a pogrom if he ever gets into power. Yeah. So, like, friends of mine like not intelligent people like i do hang out with some intelligent people sometimes it like have said to me like yeah that corbin guy hates the jews we we know it because it's just been repeated so much well a jk rowling had uh, no small part in that oh yeah, yeah. thanks yeah, she went way out of her way in order to um prop up basically centrist labor types i mean we see some more stuff going on right now with um the the primary and the way that like even from people on the left who i think should know better like bernie's getting like this this horrible snow job basically mm. i'm yeah, like they, oh they, here's they'll find some sort of rat fuck for him too they, they, oh, they yeah. can't do anti-semitism obviously they, they would love to because you know they're they're already trying it with um yeah you know, <laughs> squad it would be funny if they tried to claim <laughs> bernie sanders is anti-semitic like I'm, I'm sure if you if you uh, Twitter search Bernie Sanders anti-Semitism, at least someone would you think. Know, you know what? Sanders I said that. Very Jewish. It's and as soon as, as soon as I said it, I remembered reading like a bunch of takes from Jewish people that don't like him that are saying like he's actually not. You know, he doesn't play up his Judaism enough, or he's like um, oh, secular. Yeah. Therefore, he's against Jew- like any bad take you can make has been made. Especially oh, yeah. in regards to Bernie Sanders. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. So, yeah, good things are not going to happen on either side of the Atlantic. Um, we got the, the Mueller thing. That was boring. I don't care about it at all. I don't think anyone yeah, should. It's, it's really it's shocking that, that mainstream Democrats expected a lifelong Republican who's a deeply entrenched member of the... Uh, 
like the way that we conceptualize the deep state's really dumb because it presumes it's like a deliberate act that you get initiated into as opposed to just the effect of having decades and centuries of a segregated political class um but he's been a member of that active political class for for decades and we never once have him indemnified um a sitting or former president ever like the, yeah. we got very close with Nixon, but even that was done more or less with a, a handshake deal that like Ford was going to take over and immediately pardon him. So nothing was actually going to come of it. It was just to get him out. But yeah, like if if Obama said explicitly that no charges would ever be uh, pursued against Cheney or Bush or Rumsfeld or any of those fucks for. Um, war crimes or war profiteering, then why the fuck would a lifelong Republican ever directly try to um, condemn and rattle a sitting U.S. president? Yeah, I don't know. People are dumb. Yeah, they're really uh, dumb. Uh, you know who's good, though, is the people of Puerto Rico, who have yes. turned out in massive... I think one in three uh, Puerto Ricans was on the streets, uh, and they got there. The governor just he's out now um i think he's not like admitting fault in whatever he did i'm not i'm not even 100 percent sure on the details of what he did it was some sort of texting scandal um but um they got him out after like two weeks yeah. of protests he's done it it reminds me of um similar protests that happened recently in south korea and hong kong where um similar kind of um corrupt and scummy bullshit caused like an actual mass demonstration of uh, popular yeah. power and where we have these myths that, like, well, they're they're more powerful. They could just open fire on. It. It's like, well, if if you have enough people, at a certain point, you're asking a government to. Uh, uh, most governmental forces are substantially venal. It's part of why they cling to power the way that they do. And so, the notion of taking the pie on the face by attacking a large mass of your populace isn't really something almost anyone would do mm, so yeah even trump couldn't do that and he's yeah. got some real psychos supporting him so and yeah, it I, as we've always it, said uh, on sorry go on oh it, it unfortunately as an american makes me upset to see this more because i i think back to occupy to black lives matter even to the women's march in certain ways and just seeing uh that that fire feels like it's almost entirely gone out like we have a lot of totally, rhetoric yeah. about how ice is like a contemporary U.S. Gestapo parallel, but very little in the way of um, demonstrations. I mean, oh, even yeah. the Bush anti-war stuff was more fervent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake, you're a, not a noted fan of ICE. Is that am I correct in that? <laughs> correct. I do not stand <laughs> ICE. ICE is canceled. Wow, strong, damn strong words. That's harsh. Um, yeah. Don't let Homeland Security hear that. All right, I should be careful what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Jake made a off-color joke about uh, stabbing ICE agents on Twitter and ended up with uh, Department of Homeland Security agents in his living room, which is uh, uh, a fun, indeed. fun day, I bet. Yeah, yeah. It happened about a, a year and some change ago. Uh, it was last Cinco de Mayo. And um, it was really interesting because um, I had a lengthy discussion with Homeland Security agents about ICE and sort of got to hear straight from the horse's mouth what 
they think the point of ice is and it was very illuminating and then they left and um as far as i can tell my theory uh because of some research i've done is that i think that the reason they've never come back is because uh oddly enough the trump administration dissolved a lot of homeland security's domestic terrorism task force oh, because yeah. they were mostly going after american domestic terrorists which are largely white supremacists and uh you know those are those are their guys. Mm, yeah, the base. <laughs> so, yeah, so just as a weird byproduct, that whole thing kind of blew over. Oh, cool. So you kind of benefited from them ignoring Nazis. <laughs> yeah, <Right>? I think. <laughs> uh, anyway, hard to tell, you know. And uh, in in fairness, you're uh, you're correct. I don't think you can say that, but I think <laughs> I can say that. Uh, <laughs> you were correct. <laughs> okay. Good. Excellent. Um. So yeah, that, um, there is a, a bit of good news in the world. I mean, the Puerto Rico thing is good news, but um, a Viking reenactor who accidentally took down a drone with a jab with a like a javelin. Um, <laughs> he was uh, all his friends got together and they made him a room stone to commemorate the event. Oh, that rules! So, yeah, that's so lovely. Like making your friend a room stone, and so you know, if any of you out there like. You're in your DMs and you get like bumped out of there. Maybe your friends are just making you a runestone. Maybe they don't hate you. That's funny because um, they recently, you know, tried to justify military action against Iran by claiming that they had shot down a drone, and um, and then in doing so revealed that the drone costs like 220 million dollars or something wow so the idea that you can take that down with a harpoon is is hilarious you There's know what no they should reason. do they should um get a, a huge rune stone and give it to iran right <laughs> but seal team six is hidden inside it oh. the trojan rune stone yeah exactly yeah, clever stuff see Actually, no actually, one can resist a rune stone. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't. Yeah, me neither. Fucking magical figs. And... <laughs> what if it teaches me a spell? I can't pass up the opportunity that I might be able to get a spell out of there. Yeah, I mean, that's the Viking shit. That's, that's going to be strong. You're going to have to, to like eat mushrooms and shit for that spell. Right? So, yeah, I'd love a rune stone. Uh, anyone out there wants to make me a rune stone? Uh, big or small, doesn't matter. Um, you know, get, DM me. Um, slide into these DMs. Would love a runestone. Doesn't uh, have to be DMT. You can give us a runestone now. Yeah, we're opening up. With, um, yeah, virtually anything: uh, psychoactive drugs or um, magical rocks. Uh, either way, really anything magical, anything that contains real magic, you can send our way. Yeah. So far, we've already had one spell from listeners, and uh, frankly, I'm a little disappointed in the rest of you. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of spells, Jake, you, you did. Um, that's uh, Mr. Cleo podcast for a while, right? Is that coming back? Because that was good. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, actually, I'm um, kind of in the process of setting up uh, like a Twitch channel for our show. And probably yeah, nice. we're probably going to work with our friends over at the Antifada just to make it a big, uh, big communal group effort. But um, nice. yeah, for if you don't know, if you're a listener and you you know, what was this Mr. Cleo thing? I used to have a podcast where I would get drunk, my friend would play weird music, and then I would have people call in, and I basically I ran a psychic hotline, and I would read tarot cards, and that was like the bit. 
Um, and I, I liked it, but it was a lot of work. And also I just, it, it didn't really, I think, create a, like a very listenable podcast, but it was really fun to do. So officially, you know, you get I, all like your, your stuff on, you get dress up all stuff and you kind of like roll around slurring. It, it kind of made yeah. the visuals. That's exactly, yeah. That's why, you know, I shelved it because it's just like, I, I just tend to have a million projects going on at any given time. And then when they work, they work. And when they don't, they don't. And so, you know, ah, well, we'll try it later. And then it hit me a while back. Oh, shit. We should do this as a fucking, as a Twitch stream. And also, so people that listen to the show can like call in and, you know, ask questions and stuff. So it'll, I think it's coming back. Not No official announcement, yeah. but I have to go buy, you know, wizard robes so I can look like Walter Mercado and shit and a bunch of nice. crystals and stuff. And, and uh set up the apartment <laughs> but i think i think soon because cool. I, I can get you in contact with a guy who can give you a wand <laughs> oh you know a guy <laughs> yeah i do actually no i know a british occultist who uh he gave me a wand <laughs> yeah like oh, now good. i'm talking a legit wand you want a real fucking wand jake do you want do you want a real fucking magic wand <laughs> I do, but it kind of sounds like I'm going to have to meet him in like a parking lot at night or something, the way you're describing it. It's made of bone. That fucking like rules. Bone. Right? <laughs> and it's got a fucking gem in it. No, that kicks like, ass, dude. When you meet him in the parking lot, you got to like, open up his trunk and there's going to be all the different ones. There, he like, wouldn't open his dealer. trunk, he'd open his robe. Oh, nice. <laughs> right. There's just tons and you're, of like, you're like, how many wands you got in there? It's like, as many as I need. <laughs> And you're like, that's strapped. an evasive answer. I dig it. <laughs> yeah. One dealers would be cool. I'm sure that's going to be a joke in like a f- future Harry Potter or something. I was going to say, those Harry Potter movies, are getting, they're getting farther and farther away from the childish Harry Potter world and just into like this whole <laughs> other fan fiction universe. Eventually, it's just going to turn into boondock saints with like spells and shit. Yes, they got dark. I mean, the, the newest one is like, what if Doctor Who was a Pokemon trainer in Great Gatsby times? <laughs> yeah, and I liked it. I watched it on a plane. I thought it was quite dumb, which is why I, I guess I didn't have any expectations going in. It was very fun. It's definitely a plane movie. Like, I don't think anyone's ever watched that at, like, sea level. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Fantastic Beats franchise is, has, has got legs. Um, so... Also, in news, uh, there's a bunch of new releases in the metal world this week. Um, it's been a really good week, actually. Uh, Grogus. I like it when uh, bands have like traditional orc names. Uh, friend of the and show. Their, new, their, uh, their new record is actually uh, Dark Souls themed. It's called Four Kings. Cool. Nice. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that, but I, yeah, I've been really... playing Dark Souls 3, so that makes it's like really the... gross and sick, sludgy, like proggy, fucking gross metal. It's dope. Cool. Okay. Um, Ad says, uh, friend of the show, has put out a new one. Uh, Yellow Eyes, who we've played on the show before, doing a new one. Is They're that one new? Is it like a physical release just came out? Because I thought yeah, a physical release just came out this week. I, okay. I, I think... Sounds like yeah. I've think... had that record. Yeah. You. I think it's been on like Bandcamp and stuff for a little while, but okay. I think physical releases this week, maybe, or earlier this week. Uh, Cherubs have a new one. Clouds, Clouds Collide have a new one. Also baller. Uh, Mismore have... Probably uh, the saddest record I've heard this year. <laughs> yeah. 
Mismore is a good one. Uh, Atlantean Codex have a, a new album coming out soon. I don't, haven't heard any of it, but I like I can't Atlantean. listen to them. I'm not allowed because every time I put them on, I buy a sword on Amazon. Understandable. Yeah, so I'm just not allowed by my partner. We have too many swords now, and I, I won't get rid of any of them, obviously. No, it's like getting rid oh, of you're like that uh, that tarot card where the meme is like me absolutely twisted coming home with a bunch of swords. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. You listen to some straight up like burly ass American power metal, and next thing you know, you're you're twisted as fuck off of some mead that you got from a short guy, and you're buying swords online, <laughs> baby. Oh yeah, that, that's a life. That, that that's how how it should be. You know, none of this like jobs or doing stuff. It's just like. Swords, mead, like taking down drones with a with swift javelin, right? That, we should join a traveling renaissance fair and just live <laughs> like kings. Yeah, like literal kings. Uh, well, only one of us can live like a literal king. Everyone else has to be like a blacksmith or a uh, cobbler. Or you know, it's really wild to me that people who get way into renaissance fairs wind up turning into white supremacists for some reason when they instead could just go to a gym all the time and buy swords online. Yeah. And they don't see that like, the part of European culture. They only see like the, the shitty part of European culture where everyone had the plague. Right? So they yeah. don't show Europe as its best. <laughs> they should be like uh, enlightenment reenactors where they're all like drinking coffee and discussing things. Or reenact the really dope shit parts of uh, European culture, like how there is that stretch for like 400 years where if you were British and died, it was because you fell into a bog. <laughs> and became a bog okay. mummy. Bog deaths are nothing to joke about, okay? <laughs> it's super dope. As an American, I'm like, holy shit, that was real. And they're like, yeah, and it happened all the time. And I'm like, all the time? They didn't learn how to avoid fucking bogs? And I'm like, you try to avoid yeah, a bog. I I'm sure that's like very tragic to someone, but that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. That you can just fall into a bog. <laughs> it's like quicksand, but it's mud. And you're like, whoops, slipped in the mud. I guess it's time to die. They have to put up signs and do PSAs and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I broke my leg and fell in a muddy hole while dragging two big rocks for a guy on a horse. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to like a high school and teach the kids. You know, don't get drunk and wander through the swamp with a lantern like I know we all love to do. <laughs> May look glorious in the movies, but serious business. Bogs, everyone. Not, no, not a joke. Um, and you know what else wasn't very funny? That's a good segue. Uh, the, book, the book we're all forced to read this week. Uh, so, okay. Let's set the scene here. So uh, it's technically a debut. Technically. Um, it's called FKA USA. Wouldn't it technically not be a debut? Uh, it's, it's a debut under this writer's name. So, okay. Yeah. It's like a new, a new brand for this writer. So the writer is... Uh, the pseudonym is Reed King. And we no not one knows Weed who... King. That would have been way doper. If the book <laughs> was FKA USA by Weed King, I would have just plowed through it. Yeah. Or Speedweed from uh... right? Or yeah, Speedwolf. Yeah. You know, yeah. just the band Speedwolf puts out a novel. Exactly. That that would be cool. I've had time for that. I've got no time for this. Right. So um 
yeah, the guy is supposedly named Reed King and is a New York Times bestselling author and TV writer. So don't know who it is. Um, the book has already been optioned for seven figures by Warner Brothers. Wow. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. And um, this book that we read, not like a good book, this one, um, it has been met with universal scorn. Everyone who's <laughs> reviewed it has hated it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so even Amazon was... is bad with it. Like you can, you can clearly tell the two reviews they got a fiver because they don't actually mention anything about the book. Um, and they call, how keep... how is it that this book simultaneously was <laughs> extremely economically successful and panned by all critics like did they just option so gonna, it before reading anything about it yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna open a door for you jake open a door about the world of of literature and the world of how it intersects in television are you put your depression cap on boy <laughs> oh yeah the helmet for so, sure. so given a given a figure like this it's almost certainly um the big the big scuttlebutt there isn't strong confirmation but it just makes sense it aligns with everything is that this was a drummed up idea basically looking at things like uh, westworld game of thrones and black mirror and going like oh well you know there's a really strong audience for these kinds of um they say they're smart but actually they're wicked fucking dumb that's harsh on game of thrones but on the others it's actually true of game of thrones spot on well yeah i'm not saying it's not true i'm just saying that i think game of thrones doesn't think it think it's as smart as fans of it think okay yeah i would say the three things you just listed are all somewhat guilty of that yeah they're also kind of complex i do think black mirror at its best is kind of smart um i never watched westworld but it looked dumb as fuck to me yeah westworld knows how dumb it is and i don't think people who like it know that it knows how dumb it is but it's like it's an homage to the fake deep sci-fi of the 60s and 70s, which is a whole Ooh. fucking world where it pretends to be deep, but really it's really, really dumb, like super dumb. Like yeah. like some guy got way too high on mushrooms, stared at a poster for a while and was like, yo, everyone shut up. I just realized something. And then he says the dumbest shit you've ever heard. But everyone's high. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're all like, like oh, um... What is that like Sean Zardoz. Connery movie where he's running around? <laughs> Zardoz. Zardoz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was literally thinking of Zardoz, yeah. I fucking love Zardoz. Zardoz is legit probably my favorite movie. <laughs> because it's fucking insane. Like, I've never had a bad time watching Zardoz, ever. I don't think I've um, ever seen it, actually. Oh yeah, my I, god. Yeah, it's, it's we, like one of those movies like The Room that everyone has seen, but uh, like, no, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Zardoz. I, although like, it's weird, it's, I wouldn't call Zardoz so bad it's good, because at a certain point, it clicks with you in a way that like The Room doesn't, where you're still laughing at it. At a certain point, you're like, this is John fucking Borman, the guy who made Excalibur and the guy who made Deliverance. He wrote this <laughs> and directed it, and it's Sean fucking Connery. Like, <laughs> I didn't know it was a Deliverance guy. That's incredible. It's it's like Southland Tales, where it's like every yeah. part of your brain is telling you not to like it, but you're like, no, shut the fuck up, brain. This is amazing. Uh, like, <laughs> I love Southland no, Tales. No. I'm gonna push perfect. back on that one. I'm gonna push back. You not Southland like Southland Tales. Tales? Yeah, I, I I stood up and cheered for Donnie Darko in the theaters because I was 15, and depressed. But <laughs> Southland Tales, just utter bullshit. Totally misconceived. No, you're canceled. 
No, you're, no, no, you're canceled. Totally misconceived. You, you no, have the to fact read, that it's the read. back half of something that in the first half only came out as a graphic novel that no one read. That's amazing. <laughs> that's such it's a, a sequel. There's idea. no first part. <laughs> it's so ter- yeah. It's a terrible idea that didn't come off and just no. Ended. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. okay. Cancel. I can't believe this Cancel. right drag now. Me. Drag me. I don't care. I hate Southland Tales. I'm and gonna, everything I'm else gonna, Richard Dodder has done. I'm going to cut your head off. <laughs> it's going to behead you, dog. Okay, fine. fine. I'm going to cast I've a spell so on many you swords, when I get my it's be so wand. Easy. Yeah, when I, when I get a wand, I'm going to like... <laughs> You're last you guard. Yeah. It's over for you hoes. <laughs> this is yeah. like... A, so this book sort of came out, my guess, from people looking at franchises like that, especially ones that seem to be have the extra loud of being based on something. So you don't have to take full credit for if the show's good or bad. You can just shrug your shoulders and go, it's an adaptation. Um, uh, and when, well, let's engineer this. Let's engineer an adaptation and uh, sort of like the, um, the Netflix Maniac, which is just god-awful um, and was literally by I'm looking at the algorithmic uh, pings for like what are people watching, and then hired a bunch of writers to write to that algorithm of like what's successful on Netflix right now. As in, like literally, that's how Ma- the show Maniac was written. Um, this, yeah. I'm- I uh, sorry to cut you off. I also heard that about um, House of Cards. Like early on, they sort of did the same thing. Um, they did that once they started to pivot it. So it was based on a um, a BBC series that was itself based on a set of books. And once they ran out of book material, that's where they started to air Ooh, towards. Because like the original books are really good, and the BBC series is extremely well received. Um, mm. Very very and, different from the show. Yeah, and even you can see in the first like, two seasons of the American version the strong similarities between the two. But then it just went right off the fucking rails but in a way yeah. that i found hysterical <laughs> yeah that, that is just what american television does because of the uh the function the, the specific relationship that it has with capitalism where it, you know yeah. once a thing is popular it just has to be fucking kept alive for as long as possible nothing on tv here dies a dignified death you know oh god no yeah we're lost there's no arts funding for the sake of art. It's just, uh, you know, you just sort of squeeze these things for all they're worth. Yeah. Gareth said the the forbidden words, so now I have to defend Lost as <laughs> the ultimate. Are you just it... trying to not talk about FKA USA? I mean, yeah, this book I'm sucks. Yeah, no, we have way better. Can we, can we at least I tell mean... people like why the book sucked? <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We we got. <laughs> I literally have a list of bunks that we've written down. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, good. I, um, I was in like a fever dream at 3 a.m. finishing an article, and then I remembered that I hadn't jotted any notes down. And so all my notes are this half, half sleepy rambling about how much I hate the book. <laughs> but uh, Lost was at least uh, an accidentally brilliant satire of what happens to American television shows and fake deep sci fi, where it like we can't even say it goes off the rails because that presumes that there were rails. It's more like if a train came into being uh, on a mountain headed downhill 
and there were tons and tons of villages with millions of people on them, and the train just destroys all of them. This isn't an accident. This is like some horrible god has engineered this. <laughs> and it's like, they they like to cite that it got boned by like round about season four or season five when some major revelations were going to happen is when the writer strike happened. And so, but due to their contract, they had to keep making and keep airing the show. So they just had to make up stuff. And it landed at a, for season six, they're like, we just have to wrap it up based on whatever the fuck just happened. But it accidentally makes a, uh, a dumbass brilliant show because literally, Literally nothing ever means anything. <laughs> so, and, it, and it turned out, I, I didn't watch the last few seasons, it turned out they were in purgatory? Yes, and the whole last okay. season happens in what is referred to in the show as a sideways dimension. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just for no reason. It doesn't really add anything. It's just like, here's an AU that's one season long. <laughs> cool. All right. Oh, it's so stupid. I love it so much. Watching okay. it after it ended, knowing that it wouldn't go anywhere, made it just uh, like a hoot nanny. <laughs> yeah, Bad Side uh, Galactica kind of did that as well, but uh, yeah. That one was weirdly satisfying. I didn't if like it. totally insane. Oh, yeah. I don't feel satisfied by any of these shows. I feel like the fact that, like, that American TV shows just sort of, like, start in one direction and then, like, arc off and just trail away leaves me as a consumer of american television in a constant state of like edging but instead of for sexual <laughs> gratification it is for like story resolution which mm. just leaves you with this vague existential rot where you're walking around all the time and you're like does anything ever end does anyone <laughs> is anyone ever happy you know <laughs> is this just well, what life is like unfortunately uh yes Jake, that is what it's like. They've yeah, accidentally, no, yes. through yes, sheer yes. chance, made a better artistic analog for the shape of real life, <laughs> where we are born into conflicts that are mid-process and die before they're finished, and we're confused, angry, and horny every second of every day when we're not a <laughs> Oh man, that's so true. Uh, the elite tier that I can give to you, the elite tier advice, is one, read more books. Not, not books like this. This book is terrible. This book is just <laughs> god-awful. Read more regular good books, and then when you put on a television show, which should be a rarity, you'll go, Christ, this is terrible. And it, it's like the spell gets broken. And people are like, oh, no, but we need to watch this for the podcast because we can... And you're like, I really don't want to spend 10 hours, 10 fucking hours, watching a show that's bad. I'm about to do that with uh, Amazon's The Boys because it is actually an eight-season eight arc, and it all finishes so um wish me luck on that one Ugh. yeah God's I, I, have, I, I have no like idea source material but this i, I don't watching it. i have no idea why uh it's probably gonna be shit so let's uh synopsis the fuck out of <laughs> fka usa um jake i actually made you read this book so <laughs> unfortunately it falls to you to give a synopsis of this piece of shit garbage crap in a diaper of garbage <laughs> okay crap so i got about 60 pages into this book i do not know what happens after that but i got a, i feel Good. like i got the <laughs> world i got i got the uh the, the universe was sort of established and what they were going for and you know 
I, honestly, like I was aware of the premise of this podcast is we're going to like read this terrible book and then roast it or whatever. But for a moment, I kind of liked it. Like I was it, it made me hopeful for a minute because it was giving me it was giving me fallout humor vibes. But oh, then fallout is a big thing in this, I think. Yeah. And I like fallout. But then it actually sort of reverted back to, I would say, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy humor vibes. Mm. Yeah. And, which are corny and then you know beyond that just humor that is derivative of that sense of humor and is therefore like sort of uh epic bacony like um yeah like kind of lame internet snark shit you know it had promise i think but um but ultimately in what we will discuss about it it sort of peters out and stops making any sense in a, in a certain w- a couple of ways um the book yeah. itself you know it starts off it's a little poetic the first thing is just this guy's uh, memory of his mom and then suddenly you are introduced to this character trucky who is in the year 2084 and he lives in a united states of america that is uh, post some political event that we learn more and more about called the Great Dissolution. The Great Dissolution being the reason that uh, the United States are no longer a united states. They are uh, a separate uh, group of nations that all inhabit the continent that used to be the U.S. And because uh, we're imagining you know, these, these state lines being drawn, and these independent states reverting back to um or at least like compartmentalizing their given values uh the the satire here is supposed to be in that i think it's supposed to be mm-hmm. you know we're they're often referring to like um salt lake or utah or whatever utah the home of you know the capital of the mormon religion having turned into this like kingdom monarchy thing and then Texas is, uh, you know, referred to as having taken part in something called the Great Secession. Obviously, Texas embodies a lot of like independent, don't fuck with me themes or whatever. And like, you know, sort of free range capitalism. New Hampshire, whose uh, state motto is live free or die, has similar vibes and on and on and on. Um, There are some funny things about like silicon valley and san francisco having uh literally turned green because of some sort of like fungus that got loose during uh some sort of tech experiment um and it's like you know it's kind of fun um until we you know we start to understand the state that the character lives in Truckee. uh it's revealed more and more throughout his interactions with his uh you know various wasteland sort of dystopian uh friends and love interests uh some of whom are robots uh some of whom are are um different types of humans and uh but they all live in this thing called the crunch which i guess is supposed to be um this like it's a state that is like a state run by a massive fast food conglomerate and you're only allowed to eat the junk food that they make or junk food rather not fast food um there's no real food there uh they all work for the company they all have to smile all the time they are not allowed to curse so it's like you're supposed to be imagining this corporation um sort of gone wild uh or you know gone to its like furthest possible dystopian extent and you know, there's you're supposed to sort of get like 1984 vibes from it, but 
I, it doesn't seem to me to be a rumination on capitalism um, or anything really ideologically coherent because, I mean, the other states kind of are also that. This one, the joke is just that it's, oh, everyone works for, you know, Nestle or whatever. Um, but there's stuff that doesn't make any sense. Like, everyone works in this factory and they explain, like, yeah, they could have automated this, but humans are cheaper than robots. Well, that's not how automation works, actually. Robots are cheaper. That's why it's a you know it's it's like a, a problem within capitalism because it's creating a situation where they don't need humans. Um, but you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a perfect mirror to reality, I suppose. Um, it's just that it's also like eventually the the joke of everything having a trademark thing next to it on the page. Oh, God. Uh, eventually. Okay. It gets a little Banksy, a little bit, uh, you know, like we oh. get it, <laughs> you know. Um, and I guess um, the story, as far as I could tell, is you know you introduce this character, um, and then you start. Also, I just have to point this out. You start to notice like um, you know modern sort of uh, cultural grievances that the author sort of inserts into the story. Like one of the characters mm. is uh, going undergoing something called trans species surgery or whatever, which is the person's becoming a cat. This kind of sounds like it was written by like Ben Garrison or something. It was like the yeah. kids are all turning into cats, you know? Um, yeah. They've I lost their uh, damn minds. Another character that was referred to as a he, she. There was a, yeah, it was weird. There was a, yeah. there was a, they referred to someone as a he, she. And then like a page later though, they refer to non-binary and uh, all this stuff with the, with the actual language. So it's all over the place in terms of that shit. I don't know what it's trying to say about mm. those sorts of cultural concepts, you know, gone wrong or, or run amok or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because it this doesn't is clearly, really... the author is clearly a Gen Xer. So they, they're probably in that yeah. like, kind of South Park everything that's slightly different from just being witheringly cynical about everything is stupid. That is a very astute analysis. And I think you're probably right because it's not like a boomer thing where it's ideological. It's just everything except for the specific shit I like is, which, uh, should be dismissed. Which mm. leads to the biggest, like, uh, I, it sounds like I got further in the book than, than either of you guys. Uh, good news. It doesn't get better. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, he, 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 she, uh, we actually don't know the, the gender of the, the actual author. Uh, we know the fictional read, um, but uh, doubles down on everything that's super annoying. Um, I think the easiest way to explain this to uh, my book reading folks out there listening is, you know how Infinite Jest is bad? Um, and people told you that it's not bad and people that you trust because they're smart and you don't know why they said it's not bad because it's clearly bad. Like David Foster Wallace doesn't, isn't bad, but that book is bad. That book he's is like no one told being. him how to edit. I mean, he's a awful human being who was like stalking a lady and bought a gun and was following her kid around. And he was probably a Republican. Oh no, he was. Um, no, I don't mean yeah. as a person. I mean, he's written things that aren't bad. Um, yeah. Short stories that are good, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, yeah, as a person, he's is terrible. Um, uh, was terrible. He's dead. Uh, but, uh, you know how that book was fell like in a extra... bog, tragically. Yeah, he, yeah, he broke his leg, fell in the bog, and uh, got mummified <laughs> instantly. Um, <laughs> it took several days, but it was more or less instantly in geological time. Um, and now but, uh, Franzen is searching the bog, he's got his torch <laughs> looking for his. Hopefully he gets bog mummified as well. 
Now, I want to be clear to anyone listening, thinking that Gareth said torch, meaning the, the British notion of calling a flashlight a torch, which is very cute. No, he means literally a torch because he is in a bog. So it's a regular like like stick with a rag wrapped around the top part. And oh, yeah. the, the, the rag is yeah. lit. Yeah. You can't bring mm -hmm. a flashlight into a bog. The flashlight yeah. can't penetrate the, uh, the mud. Um, but uh, if that book was bad, partly because it was taking the postmodernist literary affect of like an, an extremely crusty prose, like um, the way that postmodern works riff on like the epistolary novels of uh, the 17 and 1800s on high Gothic literature, which had lots of di divergent stories and um, uh, like uh, footnoted little annotations of stories and, crenellations and things like that and pushed it to its extreme as um which which we now know in retrospect about half those novels were pushing it to its extreme to see what this maximalism could bring and the other half thought it was corny that writers tried to make complicated work which is whack-ass and basically illiterate um and david foster wallace is definitely one of those uh, uh well in that moment of infinite jest uh, it's like he was satirizing himself because um, he was a notoriously dense prose smith and uh, generated a book that was um, like uh, like a neutron star level of density, but with nothing inside of it. Um, imagine that, only uh, it's now written by a 13-year-old on a sugar high. And that's FKA USA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would have probably been super into this book when I was like 13. I, yeah, I imagine, yeah. That. As a teenager, this book has the same vibes as like uh when you discover like Half-Life or something like that. Mm. Something yeah. cool and sci-fi and kind of edgy, you know? There's some curse words in it and there's some dirty stuff. But uh filled to the brim with like cornball whack-ass lib shit jokes about like, oh, Texas, they're all uh secession and Florida, they're crazy, and California, they're weird hippies, and they love tech. And it's like, do you saw fast food? Fast food? Mm -hmm. I'm like, fast food? What? You can't. You just said fast food twice in a really annoying tone. What are you trying to say? Like burgers? <laughs> I'm like, is that is that the whole thought? Is that the whole thought you got? This yeah, is this is written by criticizing uh, American sort of <laughs> shitty food and consumption is um something i recognized immediately as hacky because uh every comedian who tries to do the social shit tries to do like bill hicks stuff early on the first thing that anyone grabs for if they're going to satirize society or comment on it is like americans are so fucking fat and gross and, uh, and it's a it's just a point that's been beat to death it's way more complicated than that you know i don't think it's were uniquely horrible it's actually interesting if you read about it you learn about things like food deserts and stuff like that but it was just a fucking lame yeah, yeah it's the writer is clearly someone who's who's thought oh i was in a starbucks across from another starbucks yeah <laughs> that was a profound thought yeah that, that's the it's, kind of guy it's so as much as like and i i want to and god willing if if gareth allows me i will just roast the shit out of this book but like you the first and jake was even saying it um the first 
couple dozen pages are actually charming because you think like this is promising. And that's the frustrating bit is that seeing that kind of like, I'm going to fragment the fuck out of uh, America and just blow up and super exaggerate a bunch of different elements. There's plenty of places you can go with that. And then it exclusively goes to all the cornball obvious ones. That's it. That's mm. literally all it does. Only it's also due to the amount of footnotes that, again, offer. There's no, there's never a moment where there's a digression where the writer cuts against their own narrative by like offering a, a counterfact the way that like a smarter writer would be of like, hey, I'm presenting one ideology, but here's an interesting, like contradicting fact that is hard to reconcile like no nothing like that just more cornball shit written in even like progressively lazier ways um yeah he like um terry pratchett was someone who could do like who was great at footnotes he oh, yeah. all his best gags were in the footnotes and he was so good at them but and infinite jest you know it's it's famous for like 200 pages of footnotes or whatever but there were some interesting ideas there were some like funny gags in there it wasn't it wasn't bad it's uh, only intriguing if not executed great yeah i know it, it was executed in a book that was just weird and dumb but there um, were parts of this book where i was reading the footnotes and when i was reading the footnotes i was thinking this could have just been another sentence on the actual page. This is just more explanation of the universe. The function of putting it in a footnote doesn't really do anything, especially because yeah. what you're doing with a footnote like this in a fictional book, a science fictional book to begin with, is already using that form in sort of a, uh, a whimsical, satirical manner, right? Originally, a footnote is the idea is to cite something from real life which is you know why what you're saying on the page is true but this is doing infinite jest shit where it's no these are fictional footnotes but at some point it's like why even do that why not just write the story you know mm, yeah so I think we get that kind of critique i think maybe his editor just edits things out and he's so powerful that he uh insisted they go back in as footnotes <laughs> well, so we we normally get that kind of critique about work that uh, uh, sort of or in a common elaboration on your point, Jake, is that effectively, like we should strike most. And I'm not saying that you necessarily are saying this, but that we should strike most fictional footnotes. And if you can't fit it into the narrative, then just get rid of it because it's um, and the way that better writers than this guy um, tend to use it is either providing um, like a strong counterfact that would otherwise disrupt the flow um, and deliberately doing that. So that way you, um, you get this notion that the text itself is one ideology of the world wow. of the fictional world, but the footnotes are counter ideologies or counter um, interpretations of the same thing. So that way you have one literary voice that then gets counterfacted by these other ones. Um, I bring that up because you're right. He never does that in this book. Never once. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not, it's, so like, uh, it's sort of cliche to bring up, but like the most popular example that does it um, well is something like House of Leaves, where you have the text is literally one voice and the editor, the footnoting editor voices are literally three other voices. So you get an actual interaction and the narrative premise is I can't talk directly to this person, but I can, as editor, 
as a fictional editor of an already fictional book, I can comment on it and offer these other, uh, this person's, uh, it's like they've read a lot of books, but they're also tragically illiterate, like, uh, like an ape who has perfect eidetic memory. And so he knows what the, the image of a page with footnotes looks like, but he has no comprehension of what it's doing. Hmm. Like, yeah. So he thinks it's magic. And it's like, if I just carve it again, it works. Right. And you're like, no, the, the words have meanings though. And he's like, what? <laughs> What? Burgers? Yeah, that's a really good point. Oh, uh, that that you're saying about the voices is a really good point. I mean, this just feels like such a uh, rough draft of something, or like someone's like first attempt at something like this. Because it's not the worst thing I've ever read. I mean, there's stuff. Yeah. There's like there's even turns of phrase that I think were really creative. Like this person does have some sort of style and uh, an interesting vocabulary and stuff. And like the inklings of what could be a fun sci-fi thing, it's just it's constantly disappointing in its failures uh, uh, of certain techniques. And then also like you know, I don't I finished the book, but there's if you're, if you're a savvy reader, you eventually start to probably feel a creeping like um, <laughs> you, like a, a f- dread of like oh this isn't going to be good. I know exactly how <laughs> this is going to fail. Mm. It's going to fail to be interesting and to introduce other points of view and things like that and um it's just going to kind of get cornier and cornier um i don't know i mean part of me is like i i mean i do like sci-fi and i do like stuff that is like comedic and so like the talking to the goat is like kind of fun i kind of like this this interaction with this like half human half goat bastard thing but the way it services the plot then it led me to predict, like, okay, I this is going to have a hacky ending, I guess. Mm. And and plus, the the goat himself was just straight up just Marvin the Android from Hitchhiker's Guide. Exactly. Yeah, yeah the, the same. Like, you could that. hear his British accent and sort of like yeah. that trope in sci-fi. You know, it was a little dorky. Oh, and and another sci-fi trope. When uh, maybe you probably did get to this part, but um, one of Trucky's android friends turns up later. And instead of like talking like a person, you know, like a like a Siri or Alexa does, where they actually yeah. attempt to talk like a person, they they talk in the, you know, beep boop affirmative kind of voice. Yeah. And they're always calculating the odds of things happening, and like C3PO does, and it's just so hacky, and it, it, it and it doesn't say anything about the real world where, like Alexa and Siri are made to be like super approachable and human and that's how robots are going to be made well they do kind of talk a little bit about how there was um like a a history within this universe of creating more um human like or actually creating like uh androids and clones and stuff like that at one point he encounters a robot that is talking very robotically and they explain yeah, at one point they were making them really human until there was an AI uprising. That's what it was. They got oh, so adept at AI that there was like a revolt of um, a self-aware androids or something or robots. And after that, they pulled the kibosh on it and they pulled back. And now all of like the robots that um, that the president character has working for him are, as the, they put it in the story, um, no more sentient than a piece of furniture or something like that, like an armchair. Yeah um so there was like a clever explanation for that 
which is why it reminds me of Fallout and that it's got like, you know, it hints at these like fun factions and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I it, it does. It is a story that I, I am, yeah, 100% sure Fallout is a major thing. Not only because of the, the robot thing, which is in the latest Fallout, but yeah, there are like factions in this thing. Like he meets a gang of Satanists later. And they think the goat is Satan. It's a whole thing. It's really predictable and boring. But uh, yeah, there are like little factions that he can befriend later in the thing and companions to go on his quest. And yeah, I'm I'm sure it's, I mean, maybe it's even bad Fallout fanfic. Okay, but, I uh, just realized something actually as we were talking about this. This is, this the faction thing is fun and it's a good, um, like mechanism um and it's the reason that i like fallout but i would not read fallout the book it works yeah. for yeah. the video game <laughs> it doesn't really uh because if you're if you're having to explain the reasons that all these groups exist um you know sci-fi is supposed to stimulate our brains in a certain way in that it's a uh, it is a little like thought experiment it's a little hypothetical what if yeah. the world was like this what if we changed a few factors uh and then let everything play out as it as it uh would theoretically it's supposed to comment on history and this reads more like um i don't know something sillier like fantasy like game of thrones they have tribes and factions and stuff like that and they're somewhat historical but there's less of a there's less of an imp there's less of an implication like sci-fi sci is supposed to kind of blow your mind and and make you you know it's supposed to imply things about the world we live in and this doesn't really or if it does it's 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 lame inaccurate observations you know and that that i think stems partly from its extremely um lazy trite methodology for futurism so for a lot of um for a lot of sci-fi stuff uh a sort of proper way to handle futurism is you don't just think what's the inherent attribute of this thing now and we're going to push that forward by 50 or 100 years because that's when you get cliche shit like uh, future France is a big cigarette in space which is uh, <laughs> admittedly that's a funny version as opposed to this which is uh, charmless and stupid no it isn't um <laughs> No, that would be great, though, if future France was one big cigarette that floated in space, <laughs> powered only by incest. Um, the real French nation. Um, but uh, instead we get... Eh, actually, uh, to go back to my point, that smarter ones instead try to think in terms of what what powers already exist in that space. Maybe not the obvious ones. So you start thinking about, like, um, like the the number of uh, people of color in the American Deep South. That if there are an act, actually was, uh, like a secession, there is a high likelihood of a deep uh, racial conflict, and it's a not zero probability that people of color would come out on top of that. Because if they were actually if they actually isolated themselves, they have a statistical numerical advantage there. Um, and so trying to think in terms of that, like giving agency to different groups and different vectors and as you were saying let it play out a bit to get the more interesting and what feels like a more insightful thing to have for 50 or 100 or 200 years in the future 
Um, and then you start your story from those places. And that lets you do the good version of what this book tries to do, which is when you go back in time and try to explain the faction, the explanation should be more a moment of the author tipping their hand to reveal, hey, here's the thought process for why I pivoted in this direction for this area as opposed to any other direction. Because, you know, what if these kinds of things that are real and present right now, what if they actualized in this way? Like, what if there was a successful uh, union uprising in former uh, mineral extraction towns? So like coal towns and steel towns and things like that. What if they formed like a communist kind of thing based on a unionist... Uh, this doesn't do any of that. Like, it's remarkable <laughs> how fucking lazy it is. Like, it's pretty easy to point to, um, as much as we can critique um, elements of his writing. Uh, what was it? Um, Gareth and I were talking about this on a recent episode. Uh, the writer Neil Stevenson does a pretty good job across his books of at least picking interesting vectors for um, factioning going into the future. And there are pretty obvious to tell what spaces he's riffing off of, but it's at least they're not necessarily like the first thing that you'd leap to where you're like, there's no way that you can have an insightful comment whatsoever. They, they're, they are there to serve as a mechanical function, but you're like, ah, oh, this is okay. I'm intrigued. This yeah, like just, the, uh, the mafia in Snow Crash, for example. Yeah. Like it's impossible uh, that the mafia would continue being a big thing if there was like a, a narco-capitalist future. Or even though, you know, Seven Eames is one of the most, like, confusingly bland books that he's written. One, we both read all of it. Two, it had <laughs> seal people. Yeah. I didn't see that shit coming. <laughs> seal people? Crazy. Love that. Love that shit. Yeah. Um, and we even have in our notes, Snow Crash feels like a clear point for being, like, a really fucking big um, scatterbrained maximalist sci-fi book of the style. But... That one did it interesting by projecting forward and basically the way that I was saying before is you have a running list, maybe like a, a, a note file on your phone where you riff on ideas and then you only put into the book the ones where you're like, oh, I can make something interesting or fruitful from that. Not I can get 50 pages out of it, but like I can get 50 good pages. And this feels like a compendium of ideas that better writers would cut Mm, like yeah. nothing but ideas that other writers would be like terrible, bland, cliche as fuck, like uninsightful, dreadfully boring, <laughs> aggressively annoying to read. Yeah, I did. Just, like, uh, do you ever do you ever see the film Basketball? Yeah, yeah. I, I know we've all done something terrible in our previous lives, so we've seen Basketball. <laughs> do you remember the, the the teams from different areas? There was like the the gay San Francisco team and the drug dealing Miami team. Yeah. That's, that's just this, but for all of America. This is also so, a large hint of idiocracy. Oh, yes. Massive. Oh, my God. Very right? big doses of that, which yeah. we now found out was a deeply problematic film in the last couple of years. Um, I, uh, I'm actually going to do an episode of my show about that because I just got into a conversation about that with a friend of mine. Um, that movie is like it's you know it's the same type of humor like people that love that movie have like lame internet humor yeah, and uh right you know say humor. things like idiocracy was a documentary and uh you can't fix stupid and all that stuff and mm. you know the the having a lack of ideology sometimes is just like written off as like well you know who cares it's just a comedy it's just a you know it's not a goddamn textbook 
you know uh but like that book or that or that movie i don't i don't think mike judge sat down with a bunch of eugenics you know literature and intentionally created a book that carried the narrative of eugenics but i think that just because he just didn't have a big articulate counter ideology to that i think that he wrote idiocracy and it's kind of got eugenicist themes because the entire uh premise of it is that uh like dumb people who are poor and poor because they're dumb bred too much and rich people didn't because they were more responsible or whatever (laughs) it's very socially darwinistic and very um you know um it's just very condescending to uh, to poor people, and it's I, low key a little bit racist, in my opinion. In just some oh, of yeah. the stuff, that yeah, you it, it, it make it give it gives like black culture and AAVE and like Latino culture as like markers of stupid. Like if yeah. if, a, if a person says uses AAVE, then they're probably stupid. Or they say like essay or something. Uh huh, and like the clothing is all like uh, very reminiscent of like Fubu at the time and stuff like that. Yeah. So it kind of like, sounds like he's making like hip hop clothing, clothing stuff, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it's uh, without go- going off too hard on that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I had similar feelings about this book. I'd say of the least of, a, of the three of us, it sounds like I hated it the least because, you, like what I'm saying about um about idiocracy, um, you know, I. I, I tweeted about that and people got really mad at me. And I, you know, I sort of came back and said, no, I still like the, the, the movie. I just thought it was dumb, which you can do both of those things at the same time. Um, yeah. I, you know, I thought it was a bad stuff. premise, but it was kind of funny as a comedy or whatever. Whereas this book was like, um, I mean, it made me cringe and I thought it was pretty bad, but like, I guess with some of the stuff, if I immediately pick up on it, I can dumb down my expectations enough to go like, all right, this is kind of a fun romp through some, you know, some lame, not well fleshed out idea. I think I think my big issue is like I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of a lot of the things that this feels like it was riffing off of like bits of Philip K. Dick bits of um the sort of experimental American author named Steve Erickson um there's the Terry Pratchett and the Neil Stevenson connection there's uh and it feels like the book equivalent of that friend who hangs around you and tries to copy the kinds of jokes you tell, but always oh. does it much worse. And no one invited them, but they keep showing up. Oh. And it's just like totally. Mm. I hated it. I hated it so much. It was. I, I was telling Gareth before we started recording. I was reading it, and I was like, "Oh my god, is this how I sound to people? Like, is this is this oh, how I come god. across?" Like. <laughs> Because well, if so, I I can follow why people wouldn't like me all that much. Oh, this is awful! <laughs> no, don't worry about it. it. It's more like um, when you meet a friend from high school again, and you can only talk about high school stuff. Because all the references in here are to stuff I was really into in high school. Even Infinite Jest, I read way too early and wrote some really shitty postmodernist stuff because I wanted to be Dave Foster Wallace. Um, but happens to the best of us. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it's like meeting someone from high school, and like you can only talk about those things you did at seventeen. You're like, oh, do you remember when we uh, snuck in on the girls' locker room or something? And you're like, ah, yeah, that's great. And you're like, so yeah, it's like, was, aren't you thirty-seven? Like <laughs> sexual assault, what we did there. That was that was not okay. We should never have done that. That was terrible. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's the only thing you've got to talk about. Therefore. You know, it's the only way the conversation can go. And yeah, that's like this book. It only has those like teenage boy uh, touchstones. So it can 
only ever hit the level of teenage boy. Like I'm sure the the uh, like Zuma Kyles who are going to break into Era Fifty One, they would love this book. They would like have a copy of it in their like shirt pocket, and a bullet would go into the book, and they pull it out. It'd be like FKA USA saved my life at Era Fifty One that day, and they'll show that book to their grandkids. You know, it it's it's for like hot couch guys who read. <laughs> they'll they'll read this and Ready Player One. Ready Player One being like I think the biggest one, but I, like none of us have read that, so I hope. So um yeah, probably didn't immediately jump to mind, but I'm sure Ready Player One from the little bits I've read is the biggest fucking touchstone on here. And I'm sure he's like tried to make a ready player one. Like like Langdon said at the start, it sounds very de- deliberate, very written obviously for a um for a movie, a market really. need, not a uh... yeah, which is why I why I feel good dunking on ah. it. We, we, we've only like we've only really had three bad books on the show so far. We've had books we've disagreed with or we've liked, would have liked if they were a bit better. But we've only had three bad books. So this one, um, trigger warning and trip. Oh and, my god, yeah, that book was fucking terrible. Yeah, they're all they're all bad. But the reason I mean I. If I went went through my emails, I I get like a bunch of emails from like wannabe authors who've either got like self published or like published on a little indie, tiny little indie press thing, and it's always really bad. I I don't want to like put them have them on yeah. the show and rip them apart. There's there's no fun in that. That's not a good thing to do. But when you've got like something that's obviously really cynical, and it's got tons of money behind it, and it's just so deliberately written for the market, and it doesn't do anything. A, a book should and it's just clearly just like a precursor for a movie deal i i feel absolutely fine uh reading it to filth it oh, reminds me totally of absolute shit. yeah you know this what is this... kind of... oh you won i it was just it just occurred to me i bet the reason they put so much money into this is uh the same reason that uh cartoon network just bought like a bazillion episodes of rick and morty there's mm-hmm. probably considered to be like a young sci-fi dork fan base for shit like this. Yeah. This does have like a slightly edgy, slightly ideological, um, if you don't know what you're talking about, thing that is appealing uh to Rick and Morty fans mm-hmm. who um, you know, if you God, I was in a uh when that f- show first came out, and I still honestly like I it's very um, you know, it's one of the rules of the online left that that show is bad now and like you mm. make fun of people that love it or whatever. But I'm a fucking comedy fan and a, a fan of uh Dan Harmon for all his faults and uh you know, I I enjoyed that show, but I enjoyed it more Same. before it was yeah. loved by libertarians and things like that. Mm. But I uh I was in a Rick and Morty like shit posting group on Facebook and I remember I, I don't check Facebook very much, so you know, when the show first came out, it was just these funny memes, and then a couple years went by, and I never checked it, and I just logged back in the other day, and it's like, it's ideologically a mess. It's mostly, like, red-pilled libertarian guys who are just, like, they suck so hard. Like, somebody says... Hey, Morty, I'm with. eugenics Rick! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, oh, that's like, on oh, the nose. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be... Also, like other people will be in there arguing with them, and you'll realize all the fans of this thing are all over the place. And why is that? Well, because when you watch the show, 
you know, again, they didn't sit down with a fucking manual and go, we're going to make Rick a libertarian. They just started talking about things they believe in. And he's kind of espoused libertarianism. And then depending on how much you watch the show, you either realize that he's like the villain or the good guy or whatever. And yada, 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 all this stuff. So like big ideological mess uh, that's somewhat volatile and powder keggy in the times we're living in. I mean, it is possibly, you know, uh, just uh, fucking throwing gasoline on the fire that is, you know, young alienated men in uh, in Western society right now. Um, I don't know. I feel like they sort of saw this and maybe just saw similar like vibes and themes and were like, yeah, okay, this, you know, this this does have similar like cultural satire that isn't really based in anything, but does seem vaguely smart if you don't know what's going on and every once in a while it's it winks at you and goes like, you know, uh, fucking religious people in Utah, huh? And you're like, yeah, I knew that was true. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's like, I don't know. There's something going on here that's like um, a, d- dumb guys that think they're smart guys like shit like this, oh, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it, so something that um, Gareth and I have talked about um, a good bit. And I think anyone who reads a lot of books inevitably has this discussion. And especially if you, if you write, um, and it's the question of like, why don't people read as much anymore? And someone will inevitably bring up that technically by word count, because of the internet, people are reading way more now than they ever have. And then you have to go like, okay, agreed. And that's a type of reading and we shouldn't front on that, but that's, that is real. But like, in terms of like novels, how come the novel has fallen from grace so much um and not in a blaming way like accepting something must have happened what did novels do to make people uh, to lose so much faith in people um or to make people lose so much faith in them and uh this book obviously comes after whatever event that was where people made a bigger and bigger shift away from novels towards other things but it's called the great dissolution it <laughs> of the literary world, yeah. It strikes me as like there. It's not quite true, but we hear a lot rumblings from people who want to sound smarter than than they are, but are at least talking around a decent point. That there is the um uh the cishet white male literary novel problem of you can sort of imagine immediately what kind of book that's going to be, and if you actually go into a bookstore, you'll find that there's way more instances where that's not really true um but it the fact that that image exists means that there's been this violation of trust and it's happened one too many times regardless of the actual number that it is that people feel like oh i'm going to be reading a story about a 39 year old man going through a divorce who wants to fuck a teenager okay i don't really need that (laughs) um and so that that big question of like how do you get people to trust that there are sensitive rich evocative beautiful painful disturbing novels still that you don't have to listen to the edgelord who says like there isn't enough disturbing art anymore it's like no there is there's plenty actually published every single year and some of it's really really good like um uh jenny Hval's uh novel really oh, excellent yeah. really That's gross and disturbing too um what, what's it called oh yeah what was that called <laughs> um... what? Blood something? Oh, no, yeah. that that's a record. Um, da, yeah, da, da, I'll look it up. Was, so. Second uh, book. Uh, it was. Oh, it says, okay. P- 
paradise rot. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, that was yeah. piqued my um, curiosity. And there's like there's um brilliant, even like big and structurally complex novels that um bounce all over the place and are hyper maximalist. Like it doesn't have to be this hyper macho voice. There's um there are actually a number of really great women authors write in that style. So even the stereotype that writing the a big book is a traditionally male thing isn't really true. We get presented this image that only the male big novels are worth talking about, but that's a perception issue and a marketing issue, not one that actually comes up in the writing itself. Meanwhile, this book, I think, is the kind of thing that people who are smug and want to come across as smarter than people who watch TV would present to someone as, here's why I'm so smart, and anyone else would read it and go, God, books really do make you stupid, don't they? Anyway, let's watch some more prestige TV. And it's not even necessarily to knock the people who prefer films and television over books, because there's plenty of brilliant films and TV. It'd be really dumb to say otherwise. But it's like, this is the kind of book I think that validates people's feelings that like, we don't really need to focus on books anymore because this is the big deal book. This is the book that gets a seven figure deal. This yeah. and like uh, Ready Player One becomes a big ass movie. And oh, that's interesting. They're sort of confirming their bias that they because they didn't want to really read anymore anyway because it's it's yeah. harder for your brain. Yeah, so TV's and gone too good. That's, you that's might as well a, just watch Mad Men. Right? Yeah, I, that, I don't necessarily that's a really confirming people. narrative. I, so while I agree with you, I think that we have to extend sympathy to the fact that if this is what people are being handed, then I can't blame them for going. Uh, books are terrible, apparently. So like, I'm just not going to read. Um, oh, sure. You, you get like, the same problem when you're a stand-up comedian, which is that everyone who like 90 percent of people that come to like comedy shows, if you ask them, they'll go, I've never this is the first time I've ever done this. And uh, if you have one asshole who's bad at this shit, they sour that person on the entire art form or the entire medium forever. And then it fucks over all of us just in terms of trying to draw audiences and shit. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's it's um, we run into that. A or lot. It's, I guess I guess especially also if the most famous comic at the time sucks, then it makes everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Least... The only one the only comics you're hearing about are Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari. Yeah, well, even Louis, though, before he, you know, uh, got me to and stuff was like thoughtful and kind of interesting and artistic. But like, I mean, I don't know, but 10 years ago, like Carlos Mencia was the most famous comedian. And like, I was like, no, yeah, trying to convince people. No, no, no. It, it's like artistic and interesting. And it's not like that all the time. But there's this fucking loud idiot on TV claiming to represent the thing or just uh, de facto representing the thing at all times and fucking it up for everyone. Yeah, and there was that puppet guy. Carlos Oh yeah, <laughs> this is truly the Carlos Mencia of books. <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy. Um, oh man, I don't know who this is. If it's a comedian, yeah, it, it, it'd be like a really shitty Bill Hicks. Like a who is that shitty yeah. Bill Hicks? Yeah, it is a little Hicksy. Yeah, it, it's definitely someone. It again, it's stuff that I was super into when I was like thirteen. When I was like just starting to like smoke cigarettes yeah. and be cool and edgy and listen to Bill Hicks. I am like, curious um, about you guys and uh, having a podcast about, uh, you know, literature and novels and things like that, because, you know, I am somebody who like goes in and out of being a, like uh, a sort of uh, 
having a healthy reading habit or uh, an in, intake of literature throughout my life. Partially, I, you know, I would, you know, I don't know if I'm just making excuses or whatever, but at times, you you know, you go, oh, I'm just so fucking busy, you know, who has the time to read a goddamn novel? Whereas everything else that you take in as a, a you know, consumer in the modern world, you take in very passively, where you kind of have to actively read books and stuff. I have uh, sort of bridged that there I've I've like come up with a solution for that in that um I listen to a lot of audiobooks cuz I just work alone oh, yeah. a lot of the day. Yeah. Um do you like them? I cuz I feel like sometimes yeah. people will say no 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 it's a tactile thing. You you take in the information no. more differently when you fucking see it with your eyeballs or whatever. I think yeah. different people approach that differently, but I think anyone who says that like I don't like audiobooks at all, but I think anyone who straight up says they're bad because they don't personally click with the medium is just a whack dumbass. Like there's there's the ground to that. Yeah. It's like yeah. different different people need different kinds of sensory input in order to like for me, unless it's I really, really love film, but I hate most movies people talk about. They're just fucking trash and it makes people feel makes me feel like people are really fucking stupid when they're like, Oh, you should watch this movie. And I watch it, it's fucking garbage. Um yeah. Uh, so most of the time I'd rather not do that at all. And so for me, the idea of making time to I'm I'm also a huge music person so the idea of making time to put on a record that i maybe haven't heard before some strange experimental thing or maybe like a new like a, a new rap record or a new like weird jazz record or a new metal album or something and read a book at the same time i'm like i'm in hog heaven and also the trick yeah. is like you're not you're not reading continuously for the full hour i don't think anyone really does that outside of their teens when you're reading the kind of trash book where you can where you can plow through like 300 pages in a sitting, but instead it's more like taking time to read a couple of pages, then you sit and mull it over while fucking right. around on your phone or something, then you read a little <laughs> bit more, then you fuck around on your phone. And that's funny you say that because I, I this book was very easy to read. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yeah. I, that's why I, I, tweeted, I tweeted that I was like, maybe I'm gonna with, finish it. I felt like I was I didn't blink in the first 50 pages, mm -hmm. and at first I was like, oh, that's really charming, and then I was like, I tried. Yeah. to remember what happened and i i, I couldn't like i've yeah, read it, maybe 200 pages of this book i don't remember most of what happened i just remember that i read it yeah the fact that it was easy to read is not uh a uh a compliment you know it's, it's not a feature of the book it was just that it's uh it was kind of dumb and and it wasn't really uh particularly thick or anything but it, it yeah that's neither here nor there i guess is what i'm saying it was just kind of a funny side effect of like well you know this is a silly fucking thing that just sort of goes on and on and on and on um, i actually wrote I, I wrote a brief essay about um uh reading and reading habits and how we have this even people who read a lot i think accidentally present this notion that like the only proper way to do it is to like sit and read with full rap attention and that kind of um but realistically no one even really did that before like trying to express that it's perfectly acceptable when like when i was um i've read a shitload pretty much my whole life but pretty much a habit of like i used to before i could put a book on my phone would just like carry a book with me and so if i was in line someplace i'd knock out a paragraph two paragraphs if i was like waiting for the bus i'd read a page like on the bus, they'll read like three pages. Like you, you're al we're allowed to read very small chunks at a time and let it sort of marinate um, 
And also trying to convey to people that like, it's okay if you don't perfectly remember what just happened when you're reading the next bit. It's like, have faith that it'll, the important parts will come back. You don't have to go like, I've read the last 10 pages 60 times and I can't remember them. It's like, well, read the next 10 pages then. You don't have to, like, you don't yeah, have to keep yeah. rereading that stuff. But we don't and do enough brain to really is, uh, is remarkably, like, it's a remarkably large hard brain so you probably will just remember eventually what happened if you just pick back up in the story you gotta, gotta trust and so we don't necessarily do enough to like convey to people that one of the one of the benefits of reading compared to something like even a short youtube clip is like if you want to watch like a three minute like like joke sketch thing you can't really watch 20 seconds and then pause it and then watch 20 seconds and then pause it like over and over it it'll break the flow way too much meanwhile with a book you can you can read bits at a time. Like you're totally allowed to just like, especially now with like having books on my phone. It's like I'll hit a red light and I'll read like a paragraph and I'll go. Um, I don't read while driving. That shit'll get you killed. We do, um, we do not endorse reading while driving. But yeah, it's um. I I think we actually do a bog because you were reading. <laughs> That was um, such a, uh, I yeah. killed a boy because I was reading a novel. <laughs> <laughs> God, he's dead now. You would—they would hate you more than they hate drones because you'd be a nerd on top of it, you know? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. yeah. I guess the, the other thing I wanted to ask about um, reading, like fiction and novels and things like that, in the modern age, is uh, that you know, I mean, I'm reading a lot of nonfiction right now because I find myself uh, frantically trying to stay informed and stay afloat of all things all the time. And uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, that is you know a byproduct of living in a world where suddenly the uh, the 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 haze of you know liberal society is sort of been smashed, and everyone's sort of, or at least people like us are probably suddenly more aware of it. Uh, or I don't know how. If, when this happened, you guys might have been their whole lives, but you know, for me, it's uh, I suddenly feel like there's more responsibility to it. I definitely feel like I'm not just going to live forever and everything's going to stay the same and yada yada yada. So, because of that, uh, I find it hard to fit in reading like um, fiction because it takes longer than watching a movie or or watching a prestige TV show or something. And yet, like we've described, there are all these problems with, you know, popular movies and television and things like that that cause them to be less rich of an experience and sort of overhyped and overblown. Um, I mean, I don't know. What's the case for, you know, taking in uh, a novel? Is it do they have a, does it have a higher uh, likelihood or uh, possibility to be a more rich experience than uh a more passive form of media? I wouldn't say always. I mean, the, the vast majority of novels are pretty crappy. You know? Yep. Like, like all art. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. it's uh, but, not immune yeah. to that statistical problem. <laughs> but if you are going to read like some good stuff, and there is like there is good stuff out there, and then, I mean, one way is just to read for the love of language, which is very like MFA speak for just enjoying how the stuff looks on the page and how each individual sentence makes you feel and what words can do and stuff. And that's got its thing. It's probably like for you looking at other stand-ups and just like 
having a very analytical view of their work and maybe not enjoying it in the same way that uh, like I would, where I'd be like, ah, man's a dick. That's a funny word because it's a swear. <laughs> but um, yeah, but the, I mean, I think the cliche about how novels are like the best way to get in the head of another person is still true. And I don't think any uh, prestige TV has ever done stuff as well as like a really great novel. Yeah. Like, like a Ulysses or a pale fire or a uh, St. Pike Alice Walker or St. Pike Ursula Le Guin or something, you know, I agree. you still, yeah. The, the like empathy and, and just like getting inside the head of another person is still, that's the only thing novels have going for them at the moment because they're not so loud that- or exciting. I think it's, uh, sorry, I, I think there's two conjoined problems that they address. One is that um, obviously the the pressing need to be informed and to read nonfiction is, um, is real. Like you are better off for actually knowing more about the world instead of being fed more like pre-chewed bullshit. And we actually cover a lot of, of nonfiction here too, like a lot, um, because that, that shit's important. You know, the older you get and the more you look at things, the more obvious it is like, oh, I actually need to give a fuck. And I need to actually give a fuck, not just be a snarky, mouthy dumbass. But um, it's that same. It's not just novels. It's like, why is art important? And there's on one hand, the the empathy machine aspect that Gareth was bringing up that like. Reading artistic work meant to portray not not just tell me the events of say oppression and joy that someone else feels but to give me like a psychological incubator so that for a brief window i can live a parallel experience to someone experiencing those things so that when i next hear about them i'm not just thinking oh i read about this that's bad but like i was made to feel it via the induction of art and now i mm-hmm. which is over simplistic and maybe like overly idealistic but it is it's something in addition like not to replace like actual learning facts but it it resonates with them really well there's also just the secondary like personal need of like um because we have without without naming names i think we all know people uh we're, we're all relatively online folk here there's some people who really need to shut the fuck up and go to therapy um, just, just really shut completely the fuck up and go talk to a therapist for a good long ass time and sort through some shit before they log back on again. Um, naming no names. Naming no <laughs> names. There's plenty of people that fit that mold. Listeners can fill that in as they want. Um, but the way that you can use art in that sort of pseudo-therapeutic way of not just exploring the experiences of others, but exploring the experience of self and like sifting through and going, does this speak to me? And asking sort of personal critical questions, like why is this resonating with me? Or maybe why isn't this resonating? What are the blockages between this art about someone else's experience that I'm not connecting with and maybe is that something i can or even should address versus hey i am connecting with this what's like like that moment you read a story about something horrible happening to someone and you go wait i guess this thing from earlier in my life really did actually stick in my craw and i've never really faced that but i'm like i was watching the um uh the tv 
version of Haunting of Hill House that Netflix put out. And I had to watch it like one episode at a time with like a couple weeks between because it was intensely emotionally triggering for me, like every episode and just sort of sitting with that and mulling it over. Like this is resonating with me incredibly deeply and sorting through that is a profoundly powerful experience that I think sometimes we in our rush to understand the world, we then ignore the fact that we are also psychologies in the world. I, like this is the good version of being aware of your own privilege is it shouldn't just be your privilege. It's be aware of your entire psychological lens and like, how is your experience and your emotional self shaping how you engage with the world and then taking a bit more of like a hands-on approach with that. That is uh, such a good way of explaining it. And I think that that's, um, it's important to kind of put it into words because, um, I don't know. I mean, you do. Sometimes I find myself like becoming a little unhinged and a little bit too online or whatever. And then I do something like watch a film or read a book or something. And suddenly everything feels kind of right as rain again. And coming from America and then in in my personal life, coming from a place like Texas, which is, you know, somewhat alluded to in this story we're talking about as having this sort of like personal responsibility extremely independent states rights thing going on um it is hard to for to make a case to a lot of people about the 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 necessity and the function of art and culture within society because if you were you know mapping out like you know the bare bones of what we need to all survive in a world um if you were making some case for whatever socialism or capitalism or whatever um you know art is and not entirely i mean i get why but it's often seen as you know something that's kind of superfluous something that's a um uh what do you call it um extracurricular you know and that it's uh and it's often conflated with entertainment which is just for fun at the end of the day but there's a reason that it's a you know long-standing human archetype in all societies is that it does serve this function to help us um, sort of communicate with each other and understand our place in the world. Um, But that is also such a funny thing about its role in society right now, because we live in this like, you know, really mangled, gnarled, late capitalistic thing in America. Like the, the, I feel like the, it's not doing its job correctly because it's so contorted through capitalism and also because our lives are so fucked up you know because we're all atomized and overworked and everything so it is interesting because it makes you really think like well what do i want this to look look like what do i how what do i want you know novels to be like in the future or how much access should we have to them uh what do i want movies and and television to be like in a in a society that makes more sense and isn't making me crazy. I want this stuff to actually help me like reflect on the world and uh, and not just keep me, you know, on a constant um, cliffhanger, <laughs> you know, wondering what the fuck is going to happen to some meaningless character or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that in a in a better world, um, FK USA wouldn't exist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm not going to say Reed King needs to go up against the wall during the revolution, but uh, he at least gets to go to like a gulag or something. 
That's, um... I, uh, I've been uh, spending the past year reading through the uh, the collected works of Kazuo Ishiguro because I read some stuff, but I hadn't read all. And, you know, over halfway through now, and that's a, a brilliant, uh, supple, emotive, uh, intellectually gorgeous author, and uh, makes me hate Reed King. Hate hate Reed King with all of my heart. I hate their works. I hate them as a person now. I would destroy them on sight given the opportunity. Uh, Good art can inspire you to um, kill demons. Literal and figurative. Uh Uh-huh. Mostly literal. Um, So, yeah. um, In conclusion, uh, yes, people of the world, read more, but um, don't read this. Read (laughs) good books. Yeah, just, just read some good books. That's so easy. We, we yeah. talk about them on the show. They're, they're, they're all in the shops. There's many good books. Like, good books aren't even, like, obscure, like, in music. Like, oh, yeah. You know, there, there are, like, some really mainstream, great, great books. Like, everyone's heard of Ulysses. And that's the best book. So you can just read that. And then yeah. you're done. Classic. But, uh, speaking Shirley, of music. Shirley Jackson. Like, every, every, every bookstore. Just go. Any Shirley Jackson book. Literally any of them. Just pick it up. It's great. Yeah. You're gonna have a great time. But uh, John Dolos passes? No, it's amazing. Good, good one too. So let's let's play out the episode, but uh, f- with some music. But first, uh, Jake, where can people find you? And um, uh, so my handle on everything is jokes. It's at Feral Jokes. It's uh, my name's Jake Flores. It's the letter switched around. It's an anagram. Um, because uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a word dork too, guys. <laughs> um. It's, that's my website. It's my handle on all social media. If you want to follow me, anything like that. Um, and my podcast is called Pod Damn America. It's a joke about Pod Save America. It's you. Oh, I, I get it now. It. Like Pod Save America. <laughs> You'd be surprised uh, how, how many people outside of our little world uh, do not get that or think it's funny at all. Um, yeah. So, uh, please listen to my show. I also have another show. I'm starting with my friend Luisa Diaz, where we uh, talk about comedy and deconstruct comedy specials and stuff like that. Uh, it's called Why You Mad? It'll be out soon. Um, and I'm going to go on tour. And so if you live in the States, particularly in the West Coast or the middle of the country, um, or you live in New York, uh, check out either my pinned tweet or my website um, to see if I'm coming to, uh, your way. And uh if there's like a ticket link or whatever the next show i'm doing is the 31st which is next wednesday me alex patak from my podcast and some guests in new york are gonna roast the second night of debates at secret loft in manhattan so uh come on out if you live in new yeah that's it alex patak is a very funny guy too so he's very funny good for him for being funny um (laughs) right let's uh play out with some music so um Falls of Roros, R- Raros, Raros, uh, uh, Roros. It's a yeah. It's a it's a Tolkien thing. Oh, that makes me like them less. That bit in <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring at the end, where Boromir gets killed with a crossbow, which is pretty sick. It's tight to get killed by a crossbow. I hope I'm killed by a crossbow. Anyway, Same. yeah, that happens. Uh, the waterfall that they're by there, the big statues, dudes. Those are the Falls of Roros. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I like them less now. Uh, no, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> I've given you many reasons to do this episode, but mm-hmm. um, uh, so yeah, they're uh, yeah, they're from Portland, Maine. 
they do big epicy doomy post black metally kind of thing that they're uh, almost more a folky post rock band now that just has black metal in it yeah yeah they, they, they've progressed quite a lot since they've been around for a fair while did does split with Panopticon back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, big land since 2007. So, yeah, they, they've had some time to grow. Uh, this one is produced by Colin Marston of Kralis and Gorguts. And uh, not to, you know, drop any names, but Langdon here did a really fucking good essay about the kind of history of Kralis as a band. That's on... Yeah, I'm super proud of that one. The members of Kralis yeah. saw it and, and liked yeah. it too. Exactly. So, yeah. So that is that's cool as fuck. So check that one out as well. So, but Colin Marston is producing this one because he's a, a super producer as well as being a super guy. Um, so we're gonna play the fifth track here, uh, "Last Empty Tradition." It's ten minutes, you know. So you know, set set back. Maybe um, you know, if you if you need to to smoke up, then now's the time. Um, we'll be back uh, real soon because um, Imperial Triumphant, the three-piece masked black metal jazz trio who are amazing and not enough people know about and love as much as we do, uh, we're going to talk to them real soon. Um, we've got people like uh, Tim Faust talking about healthcare. We've got um, uh, Grace Blakely talking about financialization. Uh, there's always stuff happening and we got patreons too patreons forget about it we've got uh, as many patreons as we can have 100 percent patreon need is covered uh, so def uh, patreon.com forward slash death sentence you want to come give us money we'll tell you all about i keep i keep pitching i keep pitching shows i we got so many things just on deck just yeah. ready to roll exactly yeah, so we we do way too many shows about Grant Morrison's comics. We've done two. Feels like too many, but um, we're probably going to do more in the future if we're totally honest with ourselves. That's just it's exactly. going to happen. Yeah, we will eventually do the Invisibles. One day we're just going to be like, "Do you want to record another one?" We're like, yeah. It's like, do you want to talk about Justice yeah. League? Yeah, sure. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we will do that. Yeah. So let's so, talk about X Men. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, okay. X-Men was good. His X-Men run was real classic. Um, But uh, yeah, so here's uh, Falls of Roro. Roros? Yeah, of course I have. Okay, Falls of Roros. (laughs) 